The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Our approach to tackling coronavirus is to prepare for the worst and work for the best. You need a totally different style of leadership. It's not enough to have a plan. You need to be testing, testing, testing. Britain and the EU, do they want to be seen as locking horns on an issue such as a no-deal Brexit when the economy is going to be suffering and people's lives are going to be facing so much disruption? Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. And we begin with a low-cost, widely used anti-inflammatory drug that has improved survival in patients with COVID-19. The World Health Organization has praised a UK test result which showed that life-saving promise came from using dexamethasone as a treatment for the virus. University of Oxford researchers found deaths amongst patients who needed breathing assistance were lower over a period of four weeks when they were taking this drug. The Health Secretary Matt Hancock says the government's buying up other drugs that are also being trialled. Like with dexamethasone, before the results come through, we're going to be cautious and careful. We're making sure that we have them available if it goes well. But this is really, really good progress. It's one of the best pieces of news we've had through this whole crisis. That was our Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, there. It comes amid a growing focus on the economic impact of the virus. The Joseph Rowntree Foundation and Save the Children say three in five families on universal credit have been forced to borrow money to get them through the outbreak. Their research also found that seven in 10 have had to cut back on food. And that may have been exacerbated by this morning's inflation data, which showed that food prices rose in May. Well, poverty, of course, is one of the key issues in many parts of the uh, of the country, but one of the key issues also in Northern Ireland. That province is following its own policies, of course, on dealing with the virus and its economic effects. But here's a startling statistic. Over 300,000 people in Northern Ireland are living in absolute poverty. It's around 16% of the population. That's according to the latest figures from the Department for Communities. And clearly what's happened with the virus and the economic effects of that haven't helped. Of course, uh, the province is also facing the shadow of Brexit and the fears of what a no-deal outcome outcome could do, possibly with the return of a hard border between Northern Ireland and the Republic. Well, joining us now, I'm very pleased to say, is Colm Eastwood, who's MP for Foyle and leader of the SDLP. Uh, Colm, welcome to the programme. Thanks for being with us. Um, let me ask you first, then, about the economic impact of the virus crisis in Northern Ireland. How hard has the province been hit? Well, I suppose the economy, like all economies, uh, is in suspension at the moment, and it will only we'll only get a true picture of where uh, this all will end um, once you know the lockdown is over. And I think we will we will see then um, where you know what businesses survive, what jobs survive. And one of the fears I have actually is if there's a second wave or if there's kind of a number of second ripples where we see um, localized lockdowns or sectoral lockdowns and if the furlough scheme has gone and some of the support has gone from government, um, then the safety net is gone. And then I think we see uh, we see potentially 
a danger there. So I think the, the government has to be very mindful uh, of that if we are facing into you know, further restrictions of, on people's movement, further restrictions on how people can gather um, if we see the virus kind of uh, coming back in a, in a big way again. So uh, there, there are many, many challenges. Um, the, the bottom line is Northern Ireland's economy is not in a good place anyway. It hasn't been for a long time. Uh, we haven't seen the economic uplift that the Republic of Ireland have seen. Uh, they have you know, much more control over their own uh, economic destiny, really, uh, taxation policy and all of that. And, and we have seen uh, growth in the Republic totally outstrip that uh, in, in the North. And that, that, that has been uh, bad for us. So, I mean, and, and that, that plays in then to health outcomes, uh, poverty, emigration and all those things. So we haven't been good at investing in the, the economic fundamentals like higher education, like infrastructure, to try to give the economy um, a, a future. And uh, my, my view on that is if we don't begin to do that, um, particularly in an all-Ireland way, given all that's happening around Brexit, um, then we're not going to uh, come out of this um, economic difficulty. But, but just because we've already been uh, in economic trouble, uh, we need a big stimulus package, and, and that's the only way I think we can we can survive it. So yesterday, Labour were calling for an emergency budget this summer. Is that the sort of approach you want to see taken? Yeah, I, th- I think that makes sense. I, I just think, I, I don't think we're out of the woods yet. And whilst we all want to, you know, remove ourselves from lockdown and all of that, um, some of the, 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 the concerns that I have are just, that let's say, in certain areas, some, you know, geographical areas, we have to close down. You know, what is the situation around furlough there? What is the situation for self-employed people? If we say to the hospitality industry, you know, in October, November, actually it's no longer safe now for you to, to operate, what happens there? What happens to those jobs? What happens to those businesses? Um, because we've had a lot, like, I mean, the furlough scheme has been, has very, has been very helpful. I think banks have been helpful. Um, but if we begin to say this is open and then we begin to close in small ways and the safety net's gone for them, you know, we're in trouble. So I think the government has to be very, very mindful of all of that. But equally, we have to invest hugely in, in, in the economic opportunities of, of the future. We have to invest in higher and further education. We have to invest in infrastructure. I mean, the city that I live in, uh, in, in Derry, which is the second city in Northern Ireland, doesn't have a motorway, uh, doesn't have a, a really reliable train uh, connection to Belfast, um, the whole wet northwest corner of Ireland isn't properly connected to infrastructure. And you can see the, the economic outputs in areas that don't have uh, connectivity, whether it's in terms of uh, broadband, uh, road, rail, or university access. We see the, 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 the economic opportunities not there. So that is that is what's happened. And then if you add Brexit onto the top of that, we have a British government now who are determined, it seems, to rush headlong uh, into exiting, and I think it is high in the sky now to say that there'll be at least a comprehensive deal by the end of this year, and that damages yeah. us all. Um, and I think if Boris Johnson had any sense, he would be saying there's enough to deal with here with coronavirus. The economic impact is so huge; it will particularly affect areas that are underve- underdeveloped, as I've said. Um, so we have to ask for a transition. I think the European Union would do that to get a proper, comprehensive deal. And the only one, in my view, that makes sense. Um, no Brexit would be great, but if there has to be a Brexit, it should be as soft a Brexit as possible. In other words, we maintain very, very strong uh, links with the trading bloc that we're, we're, we're currently part of. I think anything else is just too big a risk for the economy to take.
Well, let, let's pick up on that point then about Brexit, Colin, because uh, obviously there have been suggestions that maybe a deal is more in the offing than it was last week. There are certain indications of optimism, both in Brussels and from London. But as we see it, I mean, is your feeling that a deal is possible and that there's enough willingness to compromise and, and something that could actually mean there isn't a hard border between Northern Ireland and the Republic? Well, of course, the, the kind of backstop or front stop, as it is now, almost um, uh, protects us, I think, from a hard border uh, unless there's a total reckless attitude taken uh, in London. But uh, we also want to be able to trade freely with uh, the rest of Britain. Um, you know, and I really worry that if if if, the, if if Britain decides to leave the customs and trading relationship, in other words, they just leave without having a full comprehensive deal in place to allow them to trade freely across the European Union, then you're going to see barriers in the Irish Sea. And whilst constitutionally that may suit some of us, but economically it, it could be very, very dangerous given the amount of trade that is being done between Northern Ireland and, and, and the Republic of Ireland. And, uh, and Great Britain. So, but I, I, I have to be honest, I'm not filled with confidence that there's going to be a comprehensive agreement. I just don't see how that will come. If you look at how long it normally takes to do uh, what is a pretty complicated trade deal, uh, then we're in trouble. And if you take, actually, if you just take, if you talk about coronavirus, and we're trying to do uh, contact tracing across the island of Ireland. So right now we can do that because you can share data between those two jurisdictions. If there is no uh, data sharing framework after the end of December, we can't do contact tracing. It's, you know, it, and that is just one example of, of the many, many things that will be disrupted by, by not having a, a proper deal in place. Um, I, I would love to think that there will be, but uh, I am yet to be convinced that, that uh, this British government is capable of doing it. What about the issue of political will? You say you want a soft Brexit and uh, by, by some measures that makes sense. But the feeling that any key players in the UK want that is just totally absent from this. Oh, no, you're absolutely right. I, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm confident or hopeful. I'm just saying that that's the only thing that makes sense. And um, there, there is something that a lot of politicians aren't very good at. Um, but when the world changes very rapidly... I think you have to be prepared to change your worldview. And if we are faced with coronavirus, I think everybody accepts it's a massive challenge for the economy, um, particularly the, 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 the small to medium-sized businesses. Um, if, you, if you accept that that is happening, um, I don't know how you can take a risk which is largely politically driven, not economically uh, driven, um, and, and, and the political drive to leave the European Union uh, in my view, would have a huge impact anyway on, on the economy. But if you, you add it to coronavirus, it is just, it's just very dangerous. And, and in fact, it, it's actually very, very reckless. And uh, it will end up, in my view, being politically damaging to whoever oversees it. And what about the politics, briefly, that, that, that come in Northern Ireland anyway, the risks that something of that order, some kind of, of hard border, could actually really, really damage the situation and possibly take you back, you know, 10 years, 20 years? Oh, I mean, the very fact of Brexit has damaged the situation. You know, it has damaged relationships between uh, the communities. It has made people think very differently about the future. And, uh, you know, as an Irish national, as somebody who wants to see 
Irish unification. I think it has it has opened up that conversation again. Um, I'd much rather have that conversation in a positive way. That's about building up and having an economy that is uh, doing well. That's plugged into the global uh, markets and all of that. But if you, but there is a danger in in, in that conversation was resulting because of right. a very negative thing that Brexit could be. So, I mean, right. it, w- the, there's tension in, in, in the political air here and, uh, and it is largely caused by, by, by things that have happened in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. And we start with trade. The government saying that its exports could increase by as much as a billion pounds as a result of the trade deals it's seeking from Australia and New Zealand. Trade deals with the two countries would enable Britain, they say, to make good on the promise of Brexit. That's according to the International Trade Secretary, Liz Truss. She's setting out negotiating objectives yesterday ahead of the start of formal talks that will take place, where else? Via video conference in the coming weeks. So just a part of this whole plan for global Britain that's trying to look further afield than our nearest neighbours and uh, drop up a bit of business. Yes, uh, there's a lot of coulds, though, in all that, of course, because it hasn't happened yet. Meanwhile, what about virus issues? Well, industry leaders in the creative industries are warning the UK is facing a cultural catastrophe. The loss of more than 400,000 jobs possible in that sector as a result of the pandemic. Research from Oxford Economics projects that creative industries could lose £74 billion in revenue in 2020. It forecasts the industry will be hit twice as hard as the wider economy in 2020, with the impact felt in all parts of the UK. Well, a lot of these places involve people turning up and sitting in close companionships with other people. So I'm not surprised by that. You've seen big institutions like the South Bank Centre mothballed uh, if they don't get the funding to be able to open up and the number of people coming in the door once we eventually get there. But then there may be some hope for businesses hit by the virus impact. A new report is calling on the Chancellor to spend £15 billion investing directly into British businesses in exchange for shares that would one day be sold to the public. The Social Market Foundation report by Conservative MP Bim Afalami said the Treasury should focus on making investments into small and medium-sized enterprises to help them recover after the crisis. The report is called Unlocking Britain. It's got 10 suggestions, which also include abolishing district councils and pressing private schools to make online learning available to state school children. So a wide-ranging report there with a lot of suggestions. Now, here's something that might bring joy to your heart if you're looking out at a rather sunny day and wondering if it would be nice to eat out. Gosh, do you remember doing that? Well, people in central London could be able to eat and drink in pavement cafes and restaurants from as early as next month. According to plans drawn up by Westminster Council, they want to relax the rules on outdoor venues. The government's going to decide on July the 4th whether or not to allow the reopening of the hospitality industry. But with social distancing measures expected to remain in place, many venues want to put tables and chairs outside because it increases capacity. I am once bitten twice shy about this one because yesterday it was a glorious day. I was there in the park with my sun cream on in my trunks. Next thing I know, 
it's absolutely tipping it down. So I'm not going to be the first in the queue to sit outside and start a meal when we know what the British weather's like. Uh, yes. But anyway, let's have a look at the, uh, the state of opinion. What do people think about how the government is handling coronavirus? Joining us now is Michelle Harrison, global CEO of Kantar's public division. Uh, Michelle, what are you hearing about this? We are now a couple of months into the crisis. There've been some twists and some turns. What are people feeling like? Um, you're right, there have been some twists and turns, but the last month has been a big one, actually. So uh, overall, we've seen that move from, an, from a positive perception of how the British government is handling the crisis to an overall negative perception. So uh, we've seen a big drop, uh, 12 points down, and now 55% in our latest research saying that they think the government has been handling the crisis badly. So the views clearly seem to be moving in a certain direction. Is it issues like, I suppose, the NHS contract contact tracing app? I mean, that really hasn't got off the ground, or so it seems, and it does depend on popularity. What are you seeing in terms of that? Well, I think in terms of the contact tracing app, it's uh, less than half of people are saying that they would be confident to use it. But I think the perceptions of the government sort of sit at, a, at something a bit above that. I think they're mixed in terms of uh, feeling that communications have not been very strong. So a, a, a big drop in uh, support or approval for the for the uh, clarity of government communications. But I also think it's it's very much about the economy and job insecurity really starting to come home and impact on people. We've got, uh, we've got a third of the population saying to us they've had an impact on their income. And 7% of the people that we polled, I mean, that's, you know, one in 14, think that their loss of income is going to be permanent for them. So I think yeah, contact tracing app, it's, it's interesting and important that the approval levels are, are low because that tells us something about the controls or support that the government's got in the future. Similarly, you know, Britain is unusually low amongst all of the countries we've polled in for the use of things like face masks. But nonetheless, I think the perceptions of government and approval ratings are more likely to be rooted now in people's fear for the economy, for their jobs, and the government's ability to bring things back to normal. Well, one conversation I have a lot, Michelle, with other people is about how quickly this is all going to pass, both the virus, the economic impact, the whole work from home setup. And I just get the impression that a lot of people are very optimistic. Does that play out among the wider public? Are people a little bit uh, too keen for everything to get back to normal and they think it's going to happen very soon? So uh, I think one of the things that we always find in this type of research is that people do find it very hard to think about the future in a world that they haven't lived in before. So, so we get contradictory views. We've got um, consumer confidence this month at the lowest we've ever recorded it since we started tracking in 2011. At the same time, as you say, uh, we have got high levels of people thinking that things could be back to normal by the end of the year or back to normal in terms of, you know, economic recovery within the first few months of next year. So people are very mixed on this. They hope that the government has got a switch they can flick to get things back to normal. But at the same time, they also will say that they don't believe their behaviours are going to go back to normal. So you know, very sizable minorities, up at 40 to 50% of our respondents saying they are not going to shop as much as they used to. They're not going to go to pubs or restaurants 
as much as they used to. They won't go to cafes as much as they used to. Now, obviously, things change very fast. This has been such a roller coaster. But I think the next few months are going to be critical uh, for government to try and, and keep approval ratings up as, as we move into the sort of new grey era. Yeah, it's it's an interesting moment, and and I think a lot of symbolism involved in it, and people looking around. I mean, you were talking about the, the what's going to be normal in the future. Normal seems to involve, at least on public transport, it has to involve wearing a mask. I mean, as an indicator of what people uh, con- have confidence in, what their views are. What are people saying about masks? I mean, these obligations they have now. How many people are in fact willing to wear them? So we do stand out amongst the G7 as being completely unusual. So, I mean, we've done this research across the G7 last month. Every other nation, uh, usage of masks, support for usage of masks up in the 70s, apart from Britain, where we had, over the last month, we had 40% of people saying they never wore a mask um, at all at any point. Now, remember this research was just finished on Monday. Rules have now changed. Let's see how quickly people do feel comfortable with the adoption of new behaviours. But, but yeah, Britain has been peculiar on that. And, you know, approval ratings matter and issues to do with support for, you know, government communications and how clearly they are matter because these types of behaviour changes are going to be absolutely key, um, you know, potentially from a, from a control of the virus and, and the future of the way we get, we get people to support government requests for changes. And so, broadly speaking, how is this lowering of support for the way the government is handling the virus playing out in the polls? Because you've got a new Labour leader who's been around for a couple of months. He's getting more and more known. He's getting that screen time in front of Boris Johnson. Is that paying dividends for Keir Starmer? Yeah, it is. Um, And if we think about the unprecedented highs that we had for the Conservatives in the polls, you know, just six, eight weeks ago, if we think about the huge support levels... Um, back in April for how the government was managing. And again, you know, it's the, it's the black and white clarity of lockdown to the shades of grey of trying to bring uh, Britain back to normal and the Conservatives are suffering. So we've seen um, an eight-point drop uh, since our last poll. Conservatives now at, at 43, still ahead, of course, but Labour having gone up three points to 35 uh, in our polling over the weekend. So we are starting to see it shift. And this is moving very fast, so uh, let's see where we are in a month's time. But, Michelle, is it personal or political? I mean, do they like Boris Johnson but don't like the party, vice versa? Same with Labour. Is it is it Keir Starmer cutting through or the party? Uh, it's both, actually, and it goes back to those issues of uh, the economy too and clarity and how, how things will move. You can never divorce uh, the leadership from the, uh, from the overall political polling, but right now, we are in this unprecedented moment. We've never seen anything like it before. Job insecurity for a third of Britons to be saying that they've had an impact on their income. That really can't be pulled apart just from the straightforward views and on the personality of the leader. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. 
join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cuttereconomicforum.com.